Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay, from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with me is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh Lindsay. Hello, Christian. How are you? Very good. And sitting next to Christian on the computer, pushing buttons, trusty dusty research extraordinaire, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hey. So it has been a while since we've actually been in the same room together, the three of us. Yeah, it's nice to, to be back. Christian, travel, traveling as always. Yes. Jason and I stuck at home doing nothing. But, How's um, the movie proposal going? Oh, it's going wonderful. Thanks yeah. for asking. We I just, heard you guys did something fun recently. We did. What did we do? Well, the screening. Oh, well, that wasn't... So we watched The Irishman. I, I finished my basement this summer. I got a you know, big screen, you know, 120 inch, Woo-hoo. seven speakers, round sound, all that good stuff. Dang. So I had a group of people over for The Irishman for, you know... Three and a half hour tour, right? You know, of the screen and so forth. Anyway, uh, we did watch The Irishman and we just reviewed it on the movie proposal. Coming up next is Star Wars. Oh, the Rise wow. of Skywalker. As of recording this, this moment, as today's date and time. Today's December 19th. Right. People can see it. In fact, Jason's going to see it in a few hours. Yep. But by, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will have been out. You've probably heard Sky trash it. Um, <laughs> I'll be curious to know how I feel about it. But uh, yeah, so check out the movie proposal for sure. Well, just a quick question. On The Irishman, what was your something old? Oh. <laughs> uh, 1976, I think it was. Scott Baio, Jodie Foster, gangster movie. Any idea what it is? Oh my gosh, No. Bugsy Malone, the all-star, no, all-child star cast about Bugsy Malone. Wow. Rated G, but they all carry, you know, Tommy guns, and when they <laughs> shoot each other, it's uh, whipped cream, so you, you get, like, creamed or that splattered. That crazy. Was it any good? I it's, it's gotten good reviews. I remember loving it as a kid. I have not seen it in decades. If Christian wants to look over there, there's Looks a... Like that. You can see these kids in... Oh. Fedoras and three-piece suits and Tommy guns and oh how funny! But uh, yeah, but Scott Bayo and Jody Foster are kids, you know, and uh, it's just it's over the top goofy. Well, they're like little kids too. They're little, unbelievable. Well, I'm gonna have to check that out. (laughs) I can't. It's been so long since I've seen it. I just remember enjoying it. I don't know if it'll hold up or not. But (laughs) well, just so you guys know, the Movie Proposal podcast takes something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. And if you haven't listened to it yet, check it out. It's pretty good. It's a lot of fun. We like it. So today, um, you were uh, back in town because you were out of town. I was out of town. I was on a really interesting trip. Let's hear about it, Christian. Well, so it was my birthday, December 13th, and I was 53. Thank you very much. You're still 53. I still am, unfortunately. Um, So my husband sent me to see my family for my birthday, which is an incredibly loving gift because it meant I was not home to do my normal responsibilities. And I flew into Nashville. My sister, Myra, and my mom live in McMinnville, Tennessee, so we started there, and my brother-in-law is a history teacher at uh, Warren County High School, and he has been dying to have this film in a school. Oh. So they gave everybody extra credit. The students came. We had uh, three World War II veterans come uh, speak to the kids, and it was a really awesome screening. Anytime we show this film to kids, uh, it just it moves me so much because they care about it. Mm-hmm. We had a whole group of ROTC students there. There was a huge one, and they stood up and did their ROTC pledge for everybody and talked about why they serve. And they um, there was a sweet 
girl that came up to me afterwards and gave me a crumpled up $5 bill um, and just said she believed in what I was doing. I mean, wow. how precious is that? Like, she will live in my heart forever. Um, <laughs> so it was just, uh, it was a great screening. And again, kids loved it and said they learned so much. Then that night, Flo Plana of our film uh, fame. So remind us who Flo is. Flo Plana is the young Frenchman that his grandfather was taken by the Germans in 1943, I think, or maybe 44, and sent to a German work camp to make munitions. And while he was there, would sabotage some of the bombs. And then once they were liberated by the Allies, he walked and hitchhiked back to France over a two-month period of time. And so because that is his, you know, legacy, like he has heard that story his whole life and his mother always would take him to the Normandy American Cemetery to thank the GIs that were buried there. He has spent his life thanking these World War II veterans. And it's just been really incredible because as a young guy, he makes his money in the after, uh, in the summers as a battlefield tour guide. And then in the you know off season, comes to the United States, interviews veterans. He's interviewed up to 700 wow. over the last three years, um, chronicling their stories for a museum that he wants to open in Normandy. So he's in his off season. He just got married to the lovely Jenny Post. They got married in Iceland because it's in between France and the United States. And then they came to uh, Bedford, Virginia, which is where Jenny is from. This is such a fabulous story. Flo, his favorite World War II story is the Bedford Boys. Do you guys know this story? No. The Bedford Boys are from Bedford, Virginia. They were part of Company A, um, and they were a reserve unit that was called into duty and I think there were 19 of them. I don't know all the statistics, but it was the largest percentage of um, soldiers in a town that were lost during World War II. So it was a huge percentage of this tiny little town that lost sons on D-Day on Omaha Beach. So that he always tells that story while you're on Omaha Beach, pulling out some of the actual like people. And... He went to Bedford to see the town where they were from and discovered while he was there that there was a National D-Day Memorial there. And when he went in, he met this lovely lady who he then, like, corresponded with over Facebook for a year, and then now he's married to her. Wow. Wow. So so they had this reception in Virginia, and then we're interviewing veterans, and we both sort of met in Tennessee. And we were there with my family. We then went to Memphis, Tennessee, where my sister Anne lives. And there is this phenomenal Tipton County Military Museum and Nature Center in Covington County, or in Covington, Tennessee. And they have a a veteran there just with a fascinating story, and Flo wanted to interview him. So we sat, we did the interview, and we did a screening at this Tipton County Museum. And This veteran told a story that I will never forget, but he talked about getting through the toughest parts of the war. And the thing that stood out in his mind the most is when they took this house, I think it was in Holland, they went down to the basement. Or no, they were looking through the cabinets, and they found some powdery stuff. So they tasted it, and it was, they guessed, pancake mix. Mm. 
So they went down in the basement, which is where they kept the animals. So the cows, the chickens, and everything were in the basement of the house. And they would do that all over Europe to heat the house is one of the reasons really? that oh, they wow. would put them in there because the heat from the animals would travel up. And they found milk. Or no, no, they asked, was there any, could anybody milk a cow? So he was able to milk the cow. They had milk and they found eggs down there. And so they made pancakes. <laughs> and uh, you should have seen his eyes light up when he uh, told the story. But we hear a lot when you interview veterans, they talk about the food they found or the food people gave them. And it just highlights like how hungry they were or how bad the food was that they had to eat and the rations. And we probably only had 10 people at that screening, but they were so moved. They donated money. They have followed up since with other people. it was a it was a very powerful time. That museum was one of the absolute best, and it was no bigger than this room. Yeah. It was just great what they had there. So that was a wonderful experience. And the next day, we left to go to Oxford, Mississippi, where my husband went to law school. And I met with Reese Loud Jr. Reese Loud Jr. and I grew up in the same hometown. Our daddies worked together. And Reese Loud's grandfather was a pilot for the U.S. during the war, and he ended up getting shot down in Holland and taken in by the Dutch resistance and kept alive in this hole in the wall. I mean, it's it's this powerful story where at one point the Germans are in the house and they come into the wall where he is with a pickaxe and they go to like – like they strike into the wall like right where he is. And the only thing that keeps him alive is a two-by-four. That pickaxe landed right in the two-by-four, like right where his nose was. And he survived. And as soon as the Allies freed his area and he got back to Paris, he wrote down his whole story uh, based so that he could honor the Dutch that saved his life. And Reese is now, you know, he spent some time over there. Uh, building this story together, filmed some things, and now uh, he is doing a podcast, basically reading this story that his grandfather wrote. Uh, so it's a it's a podcast right now. We'll have to look it up. Um, look up Reeslav Jr., um, John Lau, and we'll tell you what his podcast is. I can't remember it off the top of my head. So. I'm interested in, you know, thinking about that as one of my next films. Oh. So we've talked together about the possibility of making this podcast. You're already on to the next I'm thinking about film. the next thing, yeah. There's actually two. Another one is called The Shoebox. Ooh. That's another interesting story, uh, another film I'm looking into. So, What's a good telltale How do you sign? Spell Lyle? L-O-W. Say that again. It's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, it means you're... that we're kind of wrapping up. And it didn't kill you, and you're interested in doing it again. I want a do-over so bad. <laughs> Please give me a do-over. I've learned so much. I don't want to just like, I, I don't know. Also, it's kind of like a tattoo. You know, once you get one, you're like, oh, I want another one. Really? Is that how tattoos work? Well, not for me, but I have heard that that is All the right. case. They're kind of addicting. So so anyway, we uh, we interviewed this guy and we talked to Reese Lau. And then the next day, or no, not the next day, it was the same day, we decided I can never go by Caledonia, Mississippi without going to see Brad Freeman. Do you remember him in our film? No? Uh, sorry. Brad Freeman is one of the last remaining men of Easy Company. Oh, Easy right. Company was the specific unit in um, the 101st Airborne Division that Band of Brothers followed. Mm-hmm. And Brad was a mortarman with the 101st and well-loved by Dick Winters, who was in charge of that 
uh, unit. And I've interviewed him now twice. I've seen him five or six times. But he he just it, he's such a wonderful guy. He lives in this little house in Mississippi with chickens back there, and now he's got a hundred cats. I don't know what's happening out there, but they're <laughs> everywhere. And um, that day was a beautiful sunny day, and he was shelling pecans when we got there in this little machine where you put them in this like crank thing and I don't know crush them. And I had never done that before. So he taught us how to shell pecans, and then he taught us how to roast them with butter and salt. And so we learned how to roast pecans and enjoyed those with him and had a lovely time. And then went on down to Laurel, Mississippi, where my dad lives, and we interviewed Jimmy Bass, who is a phenomenal World War II veteran who has an incredible story and began this veterans museum in my hometown of Laurel, Mississippi. And we're almost out of time, so I think maybe I, something really special happened there, but we have to save it for oh, the next you episode. Tell, tell, tell you think it should go you ahead? You can finish it, yeah. All right. <laughs> so, um, well, we go to interview Jimmy, and it's the most uh, unbelievable. Like, Flo asked him one question, and he basically unpacked his whole war history without Flo ever having to ask <laughs> another question. But it was so wonderful. Like, you're on your edge of your seat. You're crying. It was powerful. And then he talked to us about the difficulties of this museum. This museum, um, people had a lot of energy around early on. He's 95 now. A lot of the people he started it with are gone. They don't pay anybody to work there. Everybody who works there is volunteer, but they're all older, and there's not a lot of people to volunteer. So mm-hmm. there's not even anyone who's volunteered to clean it. Um, they get tons of stuff just dropped off there, and they feel terrible about saying, we're not we're out of room, we're not going to take it. So they take it, and they've been putting it in a storage facility. And so this storage facility is just chock full of all sorts of war items, from World War One and even before, I think, all the way through to, to Afghanistan. Wow. And But much of it has not been taken care of. It was just kind of put in there, and we've discovered mice were eating it and things were getting destroyed. But while we were in there checking things out, they found a World War II parachute and donated it to us and uh, a uniform that Flo was just compelled with because it had a soldier's name and he wanted to know the story behind. So we left there that day, my birthday being the next day, with this wonderful experience, time with Jimmy and learning about this museum. But it broke our hearts that there weren't – it didn't have the money that they need to for funding. It didn't – you know, there were not enough volunteers. There was so much work that needed to be done. And Flo Plana, who's been just everywhere and seen so many museums, was blown away by the artifacts that they had in there and that they cared about the story behind each artifact. And he just was – apoplectic that this was kind of the situation around this museum. Particularly in my mind, I thought about when I was at uh, California, when I was in Phelan, and you have this whole body of, you know, the Kiwanas and the church and the school and the history teachers all kind coming together to preserve history and honor veterans. And I just wanted to to take this museum and either put it in Phelan because I knew it would be taken <laughs> care of or put all those people in Laurel. Since I couldn't do any of that, um, 
Flo and I thought about it, and we decided that for my birthday, we were going to volunteer to clean up that shed and pick up all of those things and lock them away, you know, so that they wouldn't be eaten by mice. That was such a rewarding thing to do. And we found a lot of things where we were able to say, this is very valuable. This is very unique. Either put this here or, you know, figure out something to do with it. One of the most memorable one for me was we opened this old trunk And inside the lid of this trunk were all of these pictures. And it was clear that it was the footlocker of a World War I soldier who had all of his family taped to the inside, as well as some of some photos of him in the war and some like in a uh, like a boxing match. (laughs) And they didn't really even know they had it in there. So we were able to point that out to them and said, this really belongs in your World War I section. You know, you should move it in there. So. That was really neat. We made a donation to the museum that day, and it felt very gratifying uh, to be able to give back to him. But in my mind, I'm constantly thinking, gosh, what more can we do? So if you live in the South Mississippi region, please volunteer or donate to the Veterans Museum that's there. That's very cool. Yeah, Yeah, super cool. So I have a question. Yeah. You flew home from there, right? I flew home from New Orleans, Okay, which I really thought about going to the World War II Museum, but I just ran out of time. Yeah. So the closest airports to Laurel or Jackson or New Orleans. And okay. Yeah, I did not drive back. With your parachute. Oh, my did gosh. Did they have an this issue was, getting this that is on the such, plane? This is such a nightmare because <laughs> the, the day when we were clearing out, we found – they told us if you find special items that you think will go in Flo's Museum or you think you can use them as you teach people, you are welcome to them. So we would show them things, and they you know, said that we could have them. So – We get back to my dad's house with this stuff that Flo and I are going to divide up. Because we didn't say, oh, I want this, I want this. The the irony is we were going to go World War II shopping together to look for items. And we said, we blew that off and we were going to spend our day volunteering. Well, at the end of that day, we're sitting in my bedroom with like uniforms and parachutes (laughs) and documents and all of this. And we're dividing it up, you know. And it comes to this... One, actually, there are two things that we only fought over two things. <laughs> we found a World War II uniform with the dog tags still in them. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, and so <sighs> I picked it up and the dog tags fell out, and Flo and I both looked at each other like, because we both care about the story behind, not just right. the thing. But when you have that information, you can find out about the soldier, mm. and that item comes to life. And so there was that, and both of us were. You know, like, okay, what are we going to do with this? But I knew in the back of my head, the other thing I was really interested in is there was a whole box of letters and diaries of a, a soldier. Wow. And I had gamed out in my head that the uniform flow would be able to display in his museum. Whereas when, you know, I could take all of the letters, read the stories, write a blog about it, or tell a, some sort of film thing if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So we fought over the first one. I gave in like I knew I would because I wanted all the paper stuff. And that's how it ended up happening. However, he was going to take a bunch of the parachutes and all the big items in his car because he's going to come to our screening in February and be one of our special guests. But the big bag, it was a World War II bag with the parachute and other items would not fit in his car. Oh, wow. (laughs) So... The only choice I had was to leave it 
in my dad's house, which I didn't want to do, or risk flying home with it. So the parachute is in like this big World War II era bag that the parachutes could have come in. And there were two parachutes in there. And Flo's just like, you're just going to have to check it. Like, (laughs) it killed me. There were holes in the bottom of the bag. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to see this again. But it made it. That's awesome. It made it. So, (laughs) shoo, at one of our screenings, you'll be able to see the parachutes and the World War II bag and... Yeah, it was pretty great. It was an amazing birthday, that's for sure. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny because this story that we've told today has nothing to do with actually making of the film. But it does explain to you that when you are passionate about your project, your project takes you in areas that you could have never imagined. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, part of the journey. Yeah, it's part of the journey. There's always, I think it's why people like, you know, the making of when it comes to films because there's always more to the story of the film. You know, there's what happened behind the scenes. Right. It's brilliant. Yeah. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Yeah, and by the way, Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Or belated Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we really would appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about the girl who wore freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email, and sign up for our newsletter at Normandy Stories. Please go to normandystories.com slash donate to make a donation today.